It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, Agent Kruger, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group and or page. This week's episode, the Belgian UFO flap or wave of November 1989 to 1991. Actually, it started a little bit before November. I, I, I used to know this lady we call the Belgian flap. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I'm just saying is all. That's probably another show, a different different show. We'll we'll have to do a different type of podcast for that one. <laughs> kind of sounds like a Dutch band, though, doesn't it? The yeah, Belgium flop. Kind of. Let me tell you, she was a nice lady. Or <laughs> <laughs> a nice punk band. I bet. Yeah, a that lot could of, be a good name for a punk band. A lot of UFO events they call them flaps, but this one they usually call it a wave. I don't know why. Whatever. Either way, flap wave. It's all the same. A bunch of UFO sightings. All right. So what we're talking about here is obviously Belgium. And we had events ranging over a period of a couple of years. Thousands of different people, thousands of independent witnesses all saw a triangle or multiple triangle shaped craft flying day and night at various altitudes. Some of them saw it really low down. Some of them saw it very, very high up. Sometimes it was at night and they couldn't see the craft, only the lights and so on and so forth. There's just about a gazillion different sightings for this one. The description given by most witnesses pretty much agrees. We're talking about a sort of like a flat triangle with white or off-white lights at each corner of the triangle and a pulsating red light in the middle of the craft. Uh, While there were many sightings over this time period, there's two nights that are usually the, the most commonly discussed for this particular event. And that would be the night of November 29th, 1989, and the night of March 30th, uh, 30th to 31 in 1990. So between these two nights, just these two are enough, but um, there there were obviously more dates than that. Like I said, it went from 89 to 91. There was many, many events, and many, many people saw it over these areas. The, the interesting thing about this is, unlike most cases where the military or government just covers it up completely, the Belgian government, or at least the military, admitted that it was unidentified. They had absolutely no idea what the thing was. It was beyond any earthly technology that they knew about. They didn't actually try to specify what it was. They didn't have any theories, and they didn't kind of wager a guess. They just sort of said you know, we don't know, and we don't think it was something from here, and just kind of left it at that. A lot of people say that this is sort of proof of disclosure, or this is government disclosure, and it's proof that if you disclose that aliens are real, that people would not panic, because a lot of people think that people would panic. We've discussed this before on the show. But on the other hand, they never came out and said it was aliens, and there isn't really any good evidence that it was aliens, even though it was definitely weird. But this case has has it all, man. We have many witnesses. We have radar. We have, you know, the object has strange maneuvers that can't be explained by terrestrial craft, like starting and stopping uh, high speeds, 
making right turn maneuvers at high speeds, being stationary, hovering, you know, and despite traveling faster than the speed of sound, no sonic boom. And most uh, witnesses reported it as being completely silent. These are my favorite kind of UFO cases, especially the ones where you have this displacement and instantaneous changes in trajectory that can't be explained by anything we have here on the planet that we know of, especially combined with radar data, which in my opinion is just as good, if not better than photographs. Yep. Gotta love that radar data. That's a good point. I just like to mention one thing with the radar data is Agent Anderson mentioned these triangular craft had three lights. They were a triangular craft. And when they had a ping for the radar tracking the three lights, it was tracked as one object. So we're not talking about three separate objects. We are talking about one single object. Right. Yeah, a lot of the skeptics will try to say that they were seeing maybe three helicopters or some such nonsense that were flying in a perfect formation. But none of the witnesses reported anything like that. And like Ether was saying, the radar returns were all one object. Yeah, and there's a lot of images like reconstructions and drawings, which I can post on our social media. And among the thousand of witnesses, they're so similar in their details. Right. Which, yeah, they're all pretty much describing the exact same thing. You know, it's all the all the uh, testimonies from the witnesses line up so very well, even the ones from, you know, the government and stuff. And it's it's it really kind of struck me like how matter of fact they were these government officials that uh, you see in these interviews and stuff about the uh, the case. It struck me as a as kind of a breath of fresh air because they were being pretty matter of fact. And I think I heard one of them in particular even said like, hey the maneuvers that this vehicle was doing a human body wouldn't be able to, you know, um, keep up with it. You know, it'd, it'd succumb to the pressures, the, the G's and stuff, you know, and I, I agree with that. You know, um, it's, it's very interesting because it, this, like, like, uh, Asian Anderson had said, um, this thing has, this case has got it all, you know, you have, you know, a wide array of public individuals who witnessed this uh, craft you have a, a ton of people from the military also that witnessed it. They also scrambled the you know F-16s to to uh, observe and you know try to track this thing as well. And um, that that's not for nothing. You know what I mean? Like that that doesn't happen unless they're trying to they they they're looking at something on the radar screens. You know, it's not just going to be a blip or you know a program malfunction or something like that. It's, it's unlikely, I think, though. You know, not that I know much about those programs, but I would think that. Uh, they're not just going to scramble those jets out for nothing. You know what I mean? They were re- they were rea- reacting to something, you know, that they were actually a little concerned about, had some substance to it in their minds, you know? Yeah. Flying F-16s is very expensive. Even just taking yeah. off and landing them is going to be probably thousands of dollars in fuel. Yeah, and while, while Belgium isn't a poor company, or a company, it's not a poor country, <laughs> um, I can't imagine that they'd have a huge budget for military endeavors, you know? They're a tiny country. Yeah. Is the thing. Yeah. yeah. They're very small. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not they're not gonna be, you know, scrambling jets just for shits and giggles. They're gonna have a good reason Correct, for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well let's get to I think I think I mentioned, did I mention anyways, the first sighting was on September twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine. But let's talk about November twenty ninth, because this is the first one this is the first event of this particular wave that's usually talked about. And it's really well documented because we have a couple of police officers that started it off and they had to file a report. And uh, yes, we have, we have really good evidence on this particular event. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, on November 29th, we have more than 30 different groups of witnesses. Uh, let me say that again. Not just 30 witnesses, but 30 different groups of witnesses all mm-hmm. around Belgium. Three of those groups were police witnesses. And even supposedly there were witnesses in Germany, Holland, Luxembourg, um, and maybe even France also saw this event. But that's less well documented that I could find for whatever reason. Anyways, there's two police officers. It was just after sunset while there was still a bit of sunlight. They saw a field lit up next to the road, and they described it as being lit up like a football stadium. They pulled over and got out of their car to see what was going on, to see what was causing this. And they saw the triangle object hovering over the field. They said it was hovering about 120 meters up off the ground. So since this is from Belgium, a lot of the uh, measurements we're using in this case are in, uh, you know, those wacky metric units. (laughs) But so metric metric ain't so wacky, man. It's uh, it has its place. You know what I mean? Like when I measure certain things, I always go metric. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's actually we should just we should just get over it already and just switch to metric, you know? Yeah, we apologize to the rest of the world for wanting to be so different. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's some uh, some some similarities between the uh, the measuring units that were used in the uh, the Great Pyramid, and um, also what were they called the the uh, the original name for uh, for the standard system because it was like the oh the inch or the the foot like the original foot right was what was it called like the 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 king's foot or queen's foot or something like that or am I Am I am, Wait, am I what? spouting out in, complete bullshit? Are you talking about, you know about Chernobyl, this? the elephant foot? What were we talking no, about? No, no, no. no. Oh, yeah. are, are you telling me Man. there was a queen that had a twelve-inch foot? That's crazy. Yeah, dude. dude. No, no. It's a. Uh... You know, it's funny. Is I like kind of, I kind of sort of know what you're talking about. <laughs> like it sounds <laughs> vaguely familiar. Yeah, I'm regurgitating shit that I heard a long time ago, and I'm not doing a good job at it at all. That's something I learned so, in like primary school. So you know, school. please, ex- please excuse me. I digress. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, anyways, yeah, we should just switch over to the metric system already. But if if anybody unfamiliar, which I'm unfamiliar, I actually had to Google this because I have no idea. But one meter is approximately three feet, maybe like three point two feet or something. So when I say that the police saw it hovering 120 meters above the field. That's going to be approximately 360 feet, give or take. Uh, They said that the dimensions of the craft, they estimated at 30 meters on a side and about two meters high. So that would be about like 90 feet by 90 feet, you know, and about uh, maybe 10 feet tall, give or take. And they described it just like many of the other witnesses with four lights, three, one one white light on each corner and a pulsating red light in the middle. And they said that the central light that was pulsating flashed maybe twice a second or so. They also said it had conical beams shining down onto the field. They didn't hear any sound from the craft, which they found to be very surprising. They called in dispatch to report the object, and dispatch immediately made fun of them and asked them if it was Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) Claus. (laughs) But the joke's on dispatch, because he would see it later on, but we'll get to that in a bit. Anyways, while they were watching it, it started moving off parallel to the road. So they got back in their cars and started following it. They said it was very easy to follow because it was really bright. It was traveling very slowly, maybe 50 kilometers an hour, which would probably be something like 30 or 40 miles an hour. And if for something that's flying in the air, 
Um, we don't really have anything that goes that slow besides like helicopters. A regular airplane, if it was flying that slow, would probably fall out of the air because they have to be going a certain speed to produce or, lift. Or a Harrier, a Harrier or something like that. And yeah. I'm sure that they have uh, drones that have like a similar capabilities too. But uh, I mean, one thing in common that they all have is they're very loud. Right. right? Yes, they are so loud. Anything that can travel that slowly is really, really loud. And like mm-hmm. a helicopter, if you're standing under a helicopter, you're going to know it because they push a lot of air. If, you know, oh, yeah. even if they're 300, 400 feet up off the ground, that's not that high for an airplane or a helicopter. Like you're going to know it. You're going to hear it. They followed it for a while um, and it stopped suddenly. And then it went in the, started going in the opposite direction. It started moving towards the town of Yupin. E-U-P-E-N, I believe it's spelled for anybody who wants to look this up. And it flew in that direction and started going over more populated areas. And a lot of witnesses saw it. Um, some people reported that it was had sort of like a hum of an electrical motor. Most people said it was silent. It passed over the town, and then it stopped and hovered over a lake that was made by a dam. And it was sort of hovering over the dam and lake for about 45 minutes. And the police had followed it this whole time, and they were still observing it at this point. At this time, they were a little further away from it than they had been before, and they said that the three lights and the the beams looked like they were just one beam from this distance. And then while it was hovering, they saw two laser-like beams come out of the craft and extend out from the craft and then go back into the craft. And they also said they saw an orb drop out of the craft, go down, and then come back up. And it struck the police officers. To them, it looked like the craft was measuring something. Probably taking 3D scanning images and whatnot. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, they're looking at these uh, these savages and their earthen dam, you know, uh, construction, you know. I'm not yeah. sure what kind of a, a dam it was, but like, uh, they're, you know, maybe they're they're looking at them and be like, oh, look at what these fucks did. You know? Hey, <laughs> isn't that cute? <laughs> hey, hey, look, hey, hey, Larry. Hey, look, they're learning. Look at they're learning, Larry. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) I told you they'd do it. (laughs) Well, in a lot of the flight paths, actually, the the witnesses described that, not just in this case, but in a lot of cases, the witnesses said they were either following the terrain, like a mountaintop or some sort of terrain, or they were following roads, almost like they were trying to map the whole damn country or something. It's really weird. Hmm. But don't they, I mean, they could just send one of those Google cars, those, you know, around They're so whatever, nosy. You know? What if that was their Google? Yeah. What if they were 3D mapping our entire Earth? So what if it was just unmanned? Look on their phones? What if it's an unmanned mapping vehicle and they're wondering what all the fuss is about? Uh, that could be a possibility. It's a time traveling Google mapping triangle thing. Well, <laughs> I, I actually have that kind of uh, touches a little bit on like a, because there are, so there um, there, there are some stories of, you know, um, alien crafts being observed and, and what they do, like, like for instance, the Tic Tac uh, videos uh, that th- those Navy pilots uh, caught, you know, and, and supposedly that's a pretty common, you know, occurrence. Uh, yeah, and for it's them. getting more, more, more and more common, too, it seems like. I mean, that Tic Tac shape, and we've yeah. touched base on it with other stories, too, and other, other episodes. So. so I've heard a couple different people talk about this theory um, and explain like, all right, so how is it that these vehicles are able to make such like precise movements in such a, a short space, you know, um, you know, go from Dip in zero. water, come out of water, you yeah, know, yeah. Like how are they, nothing. all these extraordinary movements and stuff these crafts are doing? How are they able to do it? 
Well, I've heard a couple. I've heard right. a couple beef. I, I think a drone would be would be a damn good idea. It's a, a, a likely. You know, it's 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 more likely that, than what I'm about to say, but I, probably. But um, I've heard this theory a couple different times, and I actually I, I think it has some wings. I think I, I at least find it very interesting. So. What if these uh, beings, if they are beings, you know, coming to visit us or observe us, you know, what have you, what if they are on a higher level of existence, a higher dimension, you know what I mean? Like, so they're not like in the third dimension, maybe in their, their, uh, their fourth or fifth or something like that, you know what I mean? So from us trying to look at them and observe them, maybe we can only see this little Tic Tac or this little object that's, you know, uh, breaking through and, and we can see it visually. We can catch it on radar, maybe because they want us to, maybe, you know, maybe they're trying to like, like poke, poke a little, uh, hole through, you know, that, that time space continuum, whatever the hell it is, you know, and, uh, show us, you know, Hey, look at, we're here. Look at, check this shit out. Look what we can do. Let's see all these cool freaking, uh, you know, maneuvers. Check this shit out, dude. Look at, look at, I put lights on it too. Can you see it? Can you see it? I'm going to hover real fucking slow over a populated area. Can you see it? Can you see it? We're here, but we're in it. We're in another dimension, though. You know what I mean? I mean, humans see on certain frequencies of light, correct? So why not yeah. show us a light that we can't process? What if well, there the is spectrum, something? The spectrum of like, a, what is it? The the ultraviolet light spectrum or whatever? Is that what it's called? Mm. I believe I mean, so, the, yeah. Is that what it is, Asian Ether? There are fre- just like hearing sound, there's frequencies of sound above and below our range of hearing. Yeah. It's the same thing with light. There's... There's, yeah. um, you know, there, I, I don't know the exact frequencies, but there's, there's light that we can't see as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you go on our, uh, if you go on Facebook, actually, one of our subscribers posted those exact frequencies for hearing and for uh, sight. Oh, clutch. And there's like a little discussion about it. Hell yeah. From what I understand, the, the amount of, uh, the, the, the amount of light that we're able to see is only like a, a small, like fraction of a percentage of the entire, like, like spectrum of light that, that there is out there. Correct. Yes. Yeah. If, if you look at a graph of the electromagnetic spectrum is, well, I should, I should actually let our resident physicists talk about this, but, yeah, man. um, if, if you look at a graph of all of it, like we can only see like 10% of it or something, or maybe even less, I don't know. It's, it's been a long time since I took that class, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a very, very small percentage of the actual stuff that's out there. Yeah, I don't well, have my I cell mean, phone, I never, so I can't I, look that I up. never took a class, but I did watch a documentary and a lecture, so I feel like I should be on par with you. you yeah. Know? Well, it's actually, um, I, took, <laughs> I took just like a basic physics class. It wasn't like real physics. It was just like the physics uh, of light and sound, and they just went over like real basic stuff like that. It was... It was pretty much on par with what you might see in a YouTube video. We didn't really get into super complicated stuff, but we did talk, we did go over stuff like that though. Yeah. I just watched Invincible, so that's about me. Oh, dude, me too. Me too. I just watched that. I, I uh, one of my coworkers uh, actually recommended it to me, and like I didn't give it a chance really. You know, I, I watched like half of the first episode, maybe not even that, and I was like, "What the hell is this shit, dude?" Like, oh no, it's at the end of that first episode that hook yeah. gets into you. I know it. I didn't oh, get yeah. to any like the bloody stuff or like the uh, it's it's you know. Um, there's a little bit of the, uh, the whole, you know, uh, wokeness going on in some situations there, but that, that's what I was going to touch base. That's what I actually, I'm willing to look past it because it actually is written. Well, you know, the, all the characters, well, not all the characters, but the characters, they get you invested enough in it. You know what I mean? Where you care about them. 
in like a you no, know that's just the show that's just the show and the actual comic series was released in like 2002 i think like it was oh, okay i mean years ago robert kirkman i mean i could be wrong on the day it could be 2002 2006 but i mean still this was this has been out there but uh there, there, there is one thing that that's the whole reason I bring it up is because there is a section that uh, you watch the whole thing, right? Agent ETA. Yeah, the first, yeah, the season, yeah, yeah, the whole season. Okay, so at the, I won't give too much away, but there is a one episode in the the season. You have to get into the season to see this. Now, um, there is one part where it talks about the government spiking the, you know, the United States, the citizens oh, with yeah. a uh, chemical lace, like the fluoride theory and everything, that it gave us the inability to see certain frequencies of light that they can cast out, you know, simply with like a flashlight or what have you. Calcifies and, your pineal gland. <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, like, uh, it doesn't seem too crazy to me. And I never really like looked into that, but like, you know, what What if we were, you know, kind of, you know, I've said this, you know, repeatedly on other, um, you know, other, other episodes about, you know, being conditioned to certain things. And what if we've been conditioned to see a certain frequency, you know, and yada, yada. Sure. And like, oh, sure. Hey, I could believe it. I could definitely believe it. Have you guys seen that movie, They Live? Hell yeah. With Roddy Roddy Piper? Hell yeah. It's got Hell one of the best yeah. fight scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> Where are the damn glasses? <laughs> yeah. Apparently they, they choreographed that themselves. It's got this just oh, really? this epic just slobber knocker fight scene, and it's all about Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I forget the name of his character, but he's just trying to get his friend to wear these glasses. Like they're just they're killing each other over a pair of sunglasses. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's the best best fight yeah. scene ever. Yeah, yeah. That was so yeah, there doesn't need to be any reason for this shit. Like, <laughs> you know, there's just that you don't need to, you know, uh, any reason to fight, you know, even though you're friends, you know, just try these glasses on. No, fuck you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, where were we? Oh, yeah. Okay. I so forget. we're talking about the two police officers and while they were stopped watching the uh, back back to the show <laughs> while they were stopped watching the UFO hovering over the lake or the dam or whatever it was. They saw a second craft appear from behind some trees. It turned towards the freeway and flew off. The second craft, it kind of tilted as it flew and allowed the officers to see a different viewpoint and to see the top of the craft, which they said had a like a um, oval or like a curved dome on top and some rectangular portholes. The dispatch guy at some point also saw this light in the distance while it was hovering over the dam, and he also saw like the laser beams and stuff shooting off of it. And at one point he reported seeing a ball of light shoot up into the sky, which might've been the second craft because the officers didn't see the second craft for very long because it flew off at 7:23 PM. The craft stopped with the red beams and knocked it off with the orbs. And it moved away towards the direction of the town of spa. And that was the end of their account. Now, the, that particular night, like I said, there was about a gazillion other witnesses that saw some shenanigans and goings-on with these things, but those are probably the most credible witnesses, is the police officers. And uh, unfortunately, one unfortunate thing about this case is that most of the witness testimony is like in a foreign language, so it's kind of hard to get good translations of all of them, but um, I, di I did get some, but you know, most of them are locked behind a, di a different language. There was other sightings on nights, like I said before, for example, on like December 11th, 
There was 27 or 27, 21 separate sightings over five different provinces. But let's fast forward to the second big event that we mentioned a little bit earlier, which was on March 30th, 1990. And this is the night when they um, they launched or they scrambled a couple of F-16s. So what happened was the police responded to some civilian witnesses who were reporting these things, and then they notified the military. The military had already been tracking the objects on radar, and they were eventually confirmed and tracked by at least six different ground radar stations. And supposedly, I I couldn't find a whole lot on this, but they supposedly also launched an AWACS um, air radar thing which that's the airplane with like the big giant circly disc thing on it. You guys have probably seen mm. pictures of it. Yeah. That's not cheap. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, they were pulling out all the stops for this one. So the two F 16s got scrambled and they went to look for the thing. Now the pilots never got a visual sighting of the object, but a lot of skeptics will point to that as being proof that there was nothing there. But on the other hand, these, the, it was dark out and fighter jets, they tend to try to, get their targets from a distance rather than getting to within like gun range. So, I mean, they were like probably, um, I I forgot to put it down in my notes, but they're probably something like six to 10 miles away, which is still with good visibility. You could see these things. No problem. I mean, these triangles were reported to be, you know, flipping huge, but at nighttime, these triangles are black. It's, it's completely believable that they wouldn't have seen them, even if they were looking right at them from a few hundred feet away, let alone a few miles away. But anyways, the F-16s got scrambled. They went to the area where the object was supposed to be, and they got a radar lock on the object. As soon as they got a radar lock on the flying thing, on the UFO, it, um, it flew away at a high rate of speed, and it made some evasive maneuvers. So it, it was going really slow. Like, uh, I forget the exact number. I, I should have written that 150 down. 150 knots. There you go. 150 knots, which is, um, you know, that's like <laughs> a Cessna flying slowly. Yeah. So then it, it all, all of a sudden out of nowhere, just at, you know, at the snap of your fingers, it sped up to over one, about one and a half times the speed of sound out of nowhere. And it also dropped from about uh, 9,000 feet to about 500 feet in five seconds. And we actually have this on the we have a video of the radar which was shown to the public um of the f-16s had this thing on radar when it it dropped that fast i read that somebody calculated this would have caused about 46 g's worth of force which would turn a human occupant into paste on the back of the thing fucking Uh, jelly yeah Yeah, that's that's crazy that's a crazy amount of g's right no peanut butter all jelly yeah exactly (laughs) or at least somewhere in between maybe all gas, least. no brakes. If there was Damn, some... I'm all about that yeah. base, no trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> for that. Don't, I'm sorry don't for start that, with that. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to fart, and then I, I, it's, I, it, I don't think it's a fart. <laughs> you better, better hold back on that one then, man. That's, that's yeah. some kind of base right there. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get Sinner. an ETA on that agent ETA? <laughs> oh, yeah. dude. I Estimated mean, time on- of ass. Sorry. Yeah. Do we, do we need to hit the pause button? <laughs> nah, no, nah, I'm good. I got a strong asshole threshold. All right. All right. Good. But yeah, needless to say, if this was a terrestrial craft, it would have had to been remote control. And if it's an alien craft, then they, or even if it was any sort of creature in that craft, some sort of organic occupants, then it would to have 
would have to have some sort of technology to overcome like inertia and forces like that. Because I mean, 46 G's, like we said, that's going to kill anything in there. So this is, like I said, also it was over the speed of sound, but on this occasion and other occasions when witnesses saw these things going faster than the speed of sound, no one ever reported a sonic boom, which is highly interesting because even our airplanes that we have here, even our top secret ones, as far as I'm aware of, they still haven't come up with a way of getting around the problem of sonic booms, which is why there's a law in the United States saying that the Air Force is not allowed to fly supersonic over the continental United States, like over land, because they used to do that and it would like break people's windows and stuff. And it was a nuisance to anybody living near an Air Force base. So that's a big no-no. That's annoying, but yeah. kind of cool at the same time, right? Can we all <laughs> yeah. be in that? You're like, that's right. Broke my window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again. Interesting. Maybe they think we're on the precipice of hitting, not light speed, but I, I have heard in the past that, that, that when I was first introduced to the Galactic Federation or like the gal- Galaxies UN, uh, the point is the decision, the people that make the decision or the aliens uh, that make the decision to let us into that UN, um, like, you know, once we figure out that that leap in technology to get us you know past the speed of light or what have you like figure out travel um make it easier for us that's when they'll show themselves to us because it would be only a matter of time before we can reach them before they could reach us or whatnot but mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I i digress it was just I think it might have to be a bigger in. a bigger leap in technology than that you think? to be honest but, well and, and the reason why i think this is because I believe that, like, if we are being contacted by um, what we may call aliens or what have you, I think that the the distances in space are too dramatic for anybody to be traveling from point A to point B. And I'm sure everybody is. I mean, this isn't a new. I'm not coming up with this argument. You know what I mean? This ain't me. I'm just regurgitating shit that I agree with, really, at this point. But the distances are too vast. So if they are traveling to us over these distances from another galaxy, another solar system, whatever it may be. Um, I think that their level of technology is going to, going to be at a, you know, on a level that is going to be sure, sure, you know, magic to us. And again, this is not my words. These are, you know, theories that other people have come up with that I agree with, but like, um, their capability is going to be so, so drastically far, far and away ahead of ours that we're not going to even recognize. We may not even recognize like, like, like I said before too, what if these individuals have, you know, ascended to a level where they exist in another, a higher dimension than we do. You know, what would that look like if they did try to contact us and like, give us like a clue, maybe, you know, that they're watching and they're observing and they're waiting. You know what I mean? Like we're waiting for you guys to stop fucking around with your bullshit <laughs> and get up here already. You know, we, we can see you're right. capable of it. You know, you, you need to freaking head the right way though. You idiots, you know, like, I'm sure there's all sorts of, if this is a real situation, I'm sure there's all kinds of things that we do that frustrate those ascended individuals if yeah. they are watching. You know Stop what I mean? Stop throwing your poop at each other, you goddamn monkeys, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, which we, I, which we yeah. literally still do. Yeah. Not to much, you know? stray us off course more than I already have, but if I have, but I mean, just saying like maybe like finding fire or whatever we did to bump ourselves up that one notch or that octave to you know, evolution or like being better than our past selves. That's when they kind of step in and they're like, Hey, 
this is what's going to help you in the long run and, you know, evolve you down the road again somehow. Hey, maybe uh, we're close. Know. Maybe this is a sign that, that we're, close. we're making yeah, exactly. progress as far as yeah. physics is concerned. I'm always reading in the news about new breakthroughs and quantum entanglement and wormholes and theoretical physics. And it makes me hopeful that we're on the verge of something new. Well, and if you look if you look at our history, it's kind of interesting. Like as soon as we figured out how to make a really good piston engine, it was only a couple decades till we made rockets. And once we made rockets, it was only a little bit, you know, after that that we were on the moon. An atomic bomb. So we, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we make these really big leaps once we figure something out. So it's yeah, it's it's possible. It's definitely possible that we're not that far away. We actually have already we have ideas for how to get to the next nearest star, Proxima Centauri which is, I think, uh, I forget the exact number, something like three or four light years away, but they think they can make like little miniature spacecraft. Like nanobots. Yeah, like nano, yeah, exactly. Put some miniature cameras on there and they could get it over there in a couple of decades, which it's a really long time, but considering getting over to the next star. That's still not that long. Yeah, it's not that bad. A couple decades is still, yeah, it's, it's still pretty amazing considering how very far, I mean, a couple light years, that's, that's a, that's a, a huge area of space, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, that's, I, I mean, I can't physically like, not physically, but like, I can't mentally picture what that really means. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's almost so like, far. you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's like, what, it's what do you use as reference? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But when thinking, when thinking about something like that, you know, but like, it's just, it's an amazing, that's, that's an amazing thing. I hope I see that within my lifetime. At least like, you know. Oh, of course, they'll, yeah. They'll, they'll send one out and we get some kind of information back. You know what well, I mean? Like, you know what you are going to see? I read about this what? yesterday. Uh, Russia in 2030 wants to launch nuclear powered rocket ships and use them to transfer like cargo from one space station or to the moon and they have a whole program. They're they're like amped. They're ready to go. I don't know if that's a good idea it's, or it's not. It's the whole Elon Musk. I mean, he's a, definitely a factor in it. But mm. I mean, the whole hype it's <laughs> gathering with you know our our you know journey to space and how we've turned our heads from you know I've always thought we've we've definitely stalled out at some point when we've like you know we've how we are here now talking to one another was because. You know, a group of people decided to hop on a ship and explore the world. I mean, due to other circumstances, of course. But, I mean, it's that human element that we all possess that wants to know more and expand. And that we've been turning our heads inward, which is good on some aspects, but it's really, it should be out there now. We really should be, you know, extending our reach. Not to get preachy or whatnot, but yeah, no, this is, I really do hope I see that in my lifetime too. Agent ETA. Uh, well, isn't that like imagination sort of part of what makes us human is right? the ability oh, to see into the future. And also and our, our inability to not ask the question, why? Right. right. Like I, I'm They're getting all I, philosophical I, here. I, well, well, I mean, correct though, right? Yeah. Like, like uh, humans are, are just, you know. They're just they they're always asking why you know I, I'm sure even when we were hunter gatherers even when we were Neanderthals however that you know played out um, I'm sure that they're always asking why you know and they always had a, a little bit of a uh, self awareness that you know other living beings didn't you know what I mean but I'm not saying that other living beings don't but like you know I'm just saying we have a, a level of question within our makeup you know what I mean that we just need to know you know it's it's a, a, a you know um, 
a, a, a desire that's probably never going to be quenched. You know what I mean? No matter how far we make it, we're never going to quench that thirst, you know, for, right. for that type of knowledge, you know? Well, but I think that's the reason why we've driven ourselves to such heights to begin with, you know? If we ever find the edge of the universe, then we're going to explore what's outside of that, you know? That's hey, what are you of, talking about? The, the edge of the planet, man, we're flat. This shit flat <laughs> as fuck. We're talking about dogs. That's true. It's just, what no. is it? It's like, a, there's like a big ice wall and then there's like more the stuff firmament. on the other side of the that? Firmament, or is it dude. like God's over there? I forget what it is. It's something over there. Yeah, no, the moon is a hologram. It's another oh, flat okay. piece of paper where you can just hop to, like Blue's Clues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, and I, I forget if I've talked about this, but like, I remember I watched a video of this, like, uh, this guy who was, who was balls deep on flat earth, you know what I mean? And uh, the guy actually invested money on, on doing, um, you know, a light experiment, um, testing the curvature of the earth, you know? And the guy was like, like all gung-ho about it. And he was like, the dude was sure, sure that the, the experiment was experiment was going to work out the way he thought it was. So basically they just took like, like two big pieces of plywood, cut holes in them and then put them a certain distance away from each other, shine a light through. And then they had like telescopes to like, you know, um, you know, see if they can see the light shining through the hole at, at certain heights or whatever, you know? So, um, the guy proved himself wrong immediately, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because he was immediately able to show that there is curvature, you know? Um, and like it, you could do the look on his face. Like I remember like watching that, like I said, and I just got this, like, like this grim, like sense of satisfaction, like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> like, ha 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 ha. You idiot. <laughs> you know, like, I love it. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, like stuff like that. Agent ETA, I hope there's no, uh, flat earthers <laughs> listening to our podcast who are oh, now going to tune out. I don't, well, all right. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to purposely like piss people off. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, why is this like being like? This is a waste of time. That's all I'm saying. Like, there's like this this effort. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. This energy could be put towards things that are so much more probable, and and, uh, things that are you know not necessarily set in concrete as far as you know uh, science is concerned. You know, if you start asking questions about flat Earth, the whole thing just falls apart. Like, if you ask them, what about all those pictures NASA took? The answer is something like uh, Photoshop. Like. Photoshop. They didn't have Photoshop in the fifties and sixties, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that like some, some of the arguments of like, Oh, there's no, there's no one true picture of the earth from space, you know, because you know, they, they uh, take these pictures quote unquote NASA does or whatever, whatever space uh, organization, you know? Um, and then they, they send it back to earth, but it's in digital format. They have to recreate that. You know, they actually have to piece that picture to get, well, of course you do. If the format that you're sending it in is, is, you know, all ones and zeros and yeah, well, of course you need to recreate that digital picture because you sent it digitally or I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't pronounce that word right, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You sent it digitally. So obviously it's, it's going to need to be constructed in a certain way. You know, it's well, a, now, now you're getting, on, what are, now like, you're getting philosophical again. If you're listening to this podcast, you're not actually listening to it. You're just listening to a bunch of zeros and ones. No, if you if you're if you are listening to the podcast, you're actually constructing this podcast within your psyche in your dome piece. It's all <laughs> a fabrication. You know, you are creating this audio that you're listening to right this moment. Don't forget to mention it's not all us. We don't, we don't really messaging. exist. Yeah. What? Subliminal messaging. Bye, chocolate. Oh. <laughs> Subliminal blah 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 blah. That's how I pronounce it. 
All right, where were we? Triangle craft emitting uh, possible rays of light that we can't interpret. Mm-hmm. Yes. Belgian UFOs. Okay, let's see. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, we were talking about the F-16s. I think I just said that uh, even though that the object had gone faster than the speed of sound, there was no sonic boom reported, not just in this particular case, but... Nobody in of all of these Belgian triangles, nobody ever reported any sort of sonic boom for any sighting, which is really interesting. And then I think we started talking about overcoming inertia, and then that's when we went on our tangent. So let's <laughs> let's not go there again. <laughs> but anyways, the object played cat and mouse with the F-16s as they chased it. It zigzagged around and ran from them, and it, it the the description kind of reminded me of some of the other cases we've looked at where the object will kind of like let the F-16s get closer and then kind of zoom off or whatever. But they did that for about an hour. And then the UFOs just, they kind of skedaddled and went away. During that time, the F-16s were able to get two more locks on the objects. And uh, after that, after an hour, they were gone. The event was widely seen. And the police eventually received over 2,600 witness statements and I think we've said it before on this podcast, but not everybody who sees a UFO is going to report it. In fact, I've seen um, in my lifetime three UFOs, none of which I'm convinced were aliens, by the way, but I haven't reported any of them, just as an example. But uh, yeah, people see weird stuff all the time and they hardly ever report it. So if they got 26 reports, probably they there was tens of thousands of witnesses who saw in this area, especially because these things were flying. They were terrassing all over the place. And if you've never been underneath of, you know, like an F-16 that's zooming around, you're not, you're going to notice that you're not going to, if you're watching TV, you're going to be, you know, alerted to the fact that there's something unusual going on. You're probably going to go outside and look. So pretty much anybody and everybody saw this damn things flying around. And there, there are witness statements where they said that they saw the, the UFO hovering and they saw the F-16s flying circles around it and all kinds of different, you know, things. They saw it zooming around while the F-16s were chasing it. But a lot of the witnesses did see the events. And I, I suspect there was way more than 2,600 people who saw it, like way more. That was the, those were the two main sightings on the, you know, on the 29th and March 30th. And the, the sightings continued all the way until about, I think, March 12th, 1991, was was the uh, final sighting, and then it just sort of stopped. But all in all, there were over 2,000 separate sightings between November 1989 and March 1991. And like I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of other countries had sightings as well, like Germany, France, Luxembourg, the Netherlands. And, you know, everybody in that area saw these things pretty much. But for some reason, it was most prominent in Belgium, and they seemed to be centered around a specific area in Belgium, which would be the area in Belgium that, that borders on Germany. And you can look up maps where people have mapped out the, you know, like the flight paths of these things and all that stuff. But it's kind of hard to go over that kind of stuff on a podcast because no visual, right? So I can tell you cities and east and west and whatever but it's kind of hard to describe well let's not hey let's not sell our, our fans so short i think uh, our fans have a, a vibrant you know imagination and, and <laughs> from as far as from what i've seen you know uh, they, they operate on a pretty damn high level you know yeah yeah it's, I, I can't i cannot deny that that's for sure but even though there were some witnesses that described different types of shapes like some people reported something that was shaped like a like a big rectangle or a trapezoid 
Some people said that the bottom of the thing looked like a, it was uh, had a texture like an aircraft carrier, which does that remind you guys of anything else? Like perhaps the Illinois 2000 case, but oh. um, a lot of these things could be explained by just seeing the same craft from a different perspective, but it doesn't mean that there wasn't, you know, more than one type of craft involved. It could have been, there could have been some kind of rectangular craft as well as a triangle one. I mean, anything's possible. We do have hey, a I mean, of- the triangle, the triangle pops up quite often on, I mean, more often than people would think. I mean, uh, I mean, I've been trying to like piece together, um, from what I can look at with the battle of LA, basically, do you, you guys remember that where there was oh, the sure. object? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just above the object, that's like when you really hit the brightness and contrast and all that stuff. Like I can post, uh, <clears throat> I can send this to you guys, but uh, it shows the brightest lights in the area and what shows on the negatives and everything. And it shows three, you know, dots above the object that the, was being shot at in a triangle formation. And I mean, this stuff also gets shaped up like, I mean, people were mistaking it for uh, a helicopter and whatnot, or it, it was to look like a helicopter. And I've I've had the triangle shape is a very common shape when we're talking about UFO experiences or right. witnesses. You know, they're yeah. describing something they saw, whether it be um, a, a, a craft that actually is shaped like a pyramid, like the people from their perspective can actually see the depth and the height and the, and the width and stuff of the, of the vehicle. It's not just like a, you know, one dimensional uh, observation. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's in question right now. And, and to actually cut in real quick is that that's that I mentioned this uh, the last time uh, I was able to speak on the podcast was uh, that there was that video that's being combed over right now by that, that task force, for you know UAPs, I think they're called now, right? Or what the and uh, that that triangle video of the who was it was being taken from an actual naval, uh, you know, I th- I think a destroyer or whatnot. I, I'm sorry, I'm like loose on it right now, <laughs> fighting. Uh, anyway, so well, it's just all, yeah. All I'm, trying pretty, to, all I'm trying to say is like the triangle is a common shape when talking about UFO witnesses, or the, the UFO sightings. Um, whether it be like a, a pyramid shaped craft or whether it be crafts set up in a triangle formation or it be an actual craft that's shaped, you know, like a triangle, like a flat triangle, you know what I mean? It, it's a common occurrence. I mean, it's not like the most common, but it's common enough where it's one of those, those types of crafts that are witnessed. That, um, it's up in the top tier, you know what I mean? It's common enough where you see it on, on damn near every continent, as far as I know. I mean, from South America to Central America to North America to to Europe to Asia. I mean, there have been triangle-shaped crafts that have been witnessed and been described in great detail, too, you know? And that this is nothing new, either. That's why way back in the day, yeah. in the, you know, 19, early 50s, I forget the exact year, but when, uh, when Ruppelt took over Project Blue Book, he's the one who came up with the term unidentified flying object, to replace the uh, the term flying saucer that had been used before because so many people were reporting things that were not saucer-shaped. So that's why they started using that. 89 was kind of a big year, actually, for triangular-shaped objects. And there were reportings not just in Europe but around the world starting at the beginning of the year. And I actually have some chronology here, and there's... Five major sightings. We start in January in Moscow, Ohio. Someone observed a giant triangular object. 
uh, about a thousand feet above the ground that was brightly lit from the bottom. And they claimed their uh, car, their engine stopped, and they heard a slight humming sound. And then we have another one in January in Oklahoma where there's two large triangular shaped objects. And they were accompanied by four to five smaller bright objects that were moving around it. And then we move on to Butler, Pennsylvania, a multicolored triangular shaped object flying over the town of Butler, making a roaring sound. And most of these are from MUFON. And I kind of picked and chose the ones that were related to the case that we're looking at. And we also have Alabama, which includes police witnesses, and it didn't make a sound. Yeah, like all over the world, Union City. All right, and finally, we had a, the last sighting I have here is in Union City, Ohio in March, where a 37-year-old mother and her daughter spotted a triangular-shaped object stationary in the sky between their car and their house, and it was hovering before it suddenly started to move at a slow speed and an altitude of about a thousand feet before it went off into the hills. So it's kind of interesting to me because you have all these sightings previous to the Belgium sighting. It's just interesting to me that there were all these similar sightings. And I mean, you had sightings of discs and boomerangs and cigar-shaped objects and that sort of thing. And I picked out the ones that were triangular-shaped because there's actually quite a bit that I'd really just skimmed over, but they're similar descriptions to the one in Belgium. Okay. Yeah, and you got those uh, you got those descriptions from uh, NICAP, right? I did. Yeah, otherwise known as kneecap. N- no. Mm-hmm. That's how that's what we call it on this show. We call it kneecap. How did you know? All right, I found a really interesting translation. So there's a book about this. There's a book about this um, sighting or about this events called UFOs over Belgium by John Van Vatershoot. That's W-A-T-E-R-S-C-H-O-O-T-O-O-T-W-A-T-E-R-S-C-H-O-O-T. And it was translated to English. I found an English translation. I looked like on Amazon and on the on the googly machine, and I was not able to find an English version of this book. But the the uh, translation of actually of just the introduction is what I want to talk about here. So um, if anybody can point me towards an English version of this book, I would gladly post a link to it or whatever. But the introduction of the book was written by General Major Wilfred D. Brower. He was the former adjunct chief of the Belgian Air Force. And it's, it's a little, maybe a little longish, but I think it's really interesting because keep in mind, this is somebody from the Air Force who's writing this, who was, he was, you know, he was there when it happened. So, the, I mean, this is a really interesting look. Let's not forget this guy. This guy has a uh, you know well accomplished career. He has things to lose. You know what right. I mean? As far as if he says something that's going to make him look like a fool. So let's let's read this introduction. Well, well let's. I mean, I'll read this introduction that he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I was very skeptical about the sensational press reports of triangle triangular UFOs being sighted above Belgium on November 29th, nineteen eighty nine, which was the start of the UFO flap. I thought the cause of the phenomena were either laser beams or holograms. I was very happy when the pilot of an F-16 was able to determine the cause of a UFO sighted in the beginning of December 1989. The UFO in question turned out to be the result of the laser beams of a dance 
of a dancing, uh, um, a dance club maybe, a dancing in Limburg. My satisfaction at being able to dismiss the subject didn't last long. When I was confronted with the various witnesses on a press conference by uh, Sobeps, S-O-B-E-P-E-P-S, that's, that's kind of like uh, MUFON. MUFON, yeah. Yeah, and they actually, they worked with the military and they did a lot of the investigation for this case was done by civilian investigators by Sobeps. Which is pretty interesting. I don't think that would happen in most areas. You know, no, like that's, I, don't, I don't think so either. But so he says, um, I was confronted with the various witnesses on a press conference by Sobeps on December 18th, 1989. Their descriptions made firewood of my hypothesis. Triangular shaped craft, larger than a jumbo jet, that moved at speeds below 60 kilometers an hour with a slight whirring sound and not the classic reaction motor noise, cannot be confused with laser projections or holograms. Then there were the three strong beams of light, strong enough to light a soccer field, and these three lights melted into one whenever one of those triangles would shoot off. Oh yeah, I don't think I, don't think I read that description yet, but one of the police officers, by the way, when it shot off, one, of the, one time... Um, Usually when it shot off, they just reported it flying off. But a couple times, the witnesses would say that the lights would kind of meld into one light in the as the craft left. It sort of like dissolved into a one beam of light and just sort of shot off. It's it's kind of weird. I'm uh, not sure exactly. Dude, beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, it was weird. Weird description. But anyways, the witness accounts were coherent and convincing. The witnesses themselves were credible, even if their stories seemed like something out of science fiction. The official representative of the Air Force, I could not think, or as the official representative of the Air Force, I could not think of an explanation for the observations made. Then certain members of the press accused us of allowing experimental flights above Belgium. The days that followed more and more newspapers suggested that F-117 stealth planes were responsible, planes invisible to radar. This is easily determined as wrong. No permission was granted for such activities in the Belgian airspace, on top of which these stealth planes were incapable of flying at around 60 kilometers per hour, then shoot off at incredible speeds without any loud noise. To make absolutely sure, the American embassy was formally asked about this, which prompted them to issue an official statement to the press, which said no <laughs> such flights had taken place in Belgian airspace. The Belgian Air Force... What, what what the press statement should have said was like, fools, you think we're going to tell you about this shit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty <No>. much, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Belgian Air Force now had a problem. The multitude of sightings, particularly in the evenings, were an indication certain activities were taking place in Belgian airspace. These activities were illegal. Each flight after sundown and before dawn must be requested and registered officially. Neither the Regie der Luchtwagen, uh, which is their air traffic controlling body, nor the Air Force were aware of any request. If the UFOs sighted were real craft, they were violating our airspace and contravening regulations. Both the Regie der Luch, uh, Luchtwagen and the Air Force needed to find out the origin of the supposed craft. Radar stations were asked to be alert and give more attention to the slow-moving craft. These are very difficult to observe, 
for radars, which are set to trace planes and helicopters that fly at speeds of over 150 kilometers, or about 100 miles per hour. The fact that the craft moved at very low speeds forced the radar operators to switch off the computer systems and work with so-called raw video, thereby more signals were bounced back than on a computer-operated screen. Difficult to work this way, while registration of events may become unreliable. Under normal circumstances, all information is stored, which makes it possible to reconstruct certain observations and compare these with other radar stations. This is impossible when working manually, in that case a reconstruction relies on the judgment of the radar operator. Such personal appreciation is subjective, and has insufficient scientific value to confirm certain observations. The F-16s of the Bevacom airfield, which must be able to lift off within five minutes at any time when required, were on permanent standby to be able to go and check out suspect air activities, but also the F-16 radars are set to detect vessels that operate at high speeds. This setting has as reason that oh, this setting has as reason that the F-16 radar screens would pick up cars driving fast and make it difficult for the pilots to discern between planes and cars. So detecting the so-called UFOs was not going to be easy, which is why visual detection was going to be crucial. On condition, this was done by the members of the Gendarmerie, uh, the whatever, they're police officers. We were only going to react to observations made by police to avoid just anyone's testimony that would cause the Air Force planes to be sent out. This procedure proved to be cumbersome and time-consuming. It was the F-16 intervention of March 30th to 31st of 1990 which made the real huge headlines. The large public interest was due to a coincidence. The analysis of the videotakes of the F-16 was not finished when an article appeared in a French magazine that ridiculed the Belgian UFO flap once again, a UFO flap which, according to this magazine, was just a cause of F-16 test or F-117 test exercises. Furthermore, the magazine claimed the F-16s, which uh, the F-16s which had taken off that night, had not obtained any results at all. I then agreed to an interview with a French weekly magazine's journalist who was accompanied by the director of the French National UFO Research Center. I allowed the latter to take a few photos of the registered F-16 radar locks on a supposed craft that, according to the available data, moved at speeds which were clearly beyond the scope of any known airplane. I showed him this to prove the Air Force fighters had not returned without results and that, if indeed real vessels were in the skies, they were certainly not F-117s. I added quite clearly that an analysis of the video takes still had to be completed and that it could not at that point be ruled out that electromagnetic interferences were at the base of the radar registrations. The article that was written as a result of this interview had the effect of a bomb. It was pure sensationalism and the hypothesis that the registrations could have been caused by interference wasn't even mentioned. Since after this publication the Belgian media pressed for answers, the Air Force felt it was necessary to give a press conference where the same photos were shown and give the same explanations 
as I had already given the French weekly magazine. The press conference had a snowball effect which resulted in endless phone calls to my staff from morning to night. A week later, the Ministry of Defense decided not to give out any more information in order for me to be able to return to my regular schedule. The Belgian UFO flap has been a unique experience. A large amount of observations were sensational and have not yet been explained. The press reacted in different ways. The French-speaking press was open on the subject. The Flemish press feared ridicule and remained tongue-in-cheek. Such, such a fear was not present amongst Air Force authorities. The Air Force has a duty to observe and keep safe the Belgian airspace, and together with the, with the Regier der Luchtwagen, or the aircrafting, aircraft controlling body, basically um, like, you know, air traffic control, it has to check on activities in Belgian airspace. The countless UFO observations were taken seriously. The UFO issue is a very emotional subject, which is treated differently by everyone. The reaction goes from indifference to rejection to disbelief, and to the intense conviction that UFOs are from extraterrestrial origin. The fear of being ridiculed is real, and is inspired by the fact that many find it difficult to accept we are visited on a regular basis by extraterrestrial craft, be it manned or unmanned. Because a lot of people are interested, a lot of authors write books merely for money. Valuable information is distorted and mixed up with personal interpretations, which as a result that the UFO issue becomes unbelievable. But the public has the right to be informed in a correct manner. Uh, hold on, i got to scroll down a little bit. I would here. agree with a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, not all of it, but that, 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 that is very rational. Very, you know? Right. So he finishes off, I have the fullest trust in John Van Waterscoot, whose only intention in writing this book was to create an objective work. His reputation as professor of university, centered, uh, senator, writer, amongst others, guarantee his objective method of approach. The UFO flap in Belgium from 1989 to 1991 was and is an enigma which remains unsolved. And again, that was Wilfred D. Brouwer, General Major, former Adjunct Chief of Staff for the Belgian Air Force. And um, I, it's kind of long-winded, but I mean, he says a lot of important stuff there, and it's from a very important authority on the case. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, well said, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And the guy, is he seems to be very upfront. It doesn't seem like he's trying to hide a whole lot. I'm sure there's, there's things that he can't talk about, obviously, you know, but. Very straightforward. I like how he how he put it. Yeah, and like I said, that book is not available in English as far as I could find, but if it is, I actually would love to buy a copy. So if anybody out there knows, um, it's the book is UFOs Over Belgium by John Van Watershoot, W-A-T-E-R-S-C-H-O-O-T. So, I mean, I'd love to get my hands on an English copy. I just don't think it exists. Van Watershoot. Speaking of Watershoot... That also reminds me of like a, how I alluded uh, to before this woman I used to know, uh, we called the Belgian flap. Um, <laughs> she, was, she was also known what? as the water shoot, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was her second name. I'm just saying this all. <laughs> that was her stage name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. 
<laughs> it's cool. Isn't an actress hey, name that before? We all bring our own experience to the podcast. That's why we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't pay for this one. All right. I'm just yeah. saying. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. Um, so that's that's all I had on like the basic events of the case. I think Agent Ether wanted to talk a little bit about skeptical explanations, right, Agent Ether? I have a skeptics list which I like to call fake news. Okay. <laughs> so there's a couple of uh, reasons people are skeptical of this particular event, even though it was, as Agent Anderson said, a whole wave of events. And unfortunately, one of those reasons is a fake photograph. It was considered the prime mode of evidence for this case. It's the Petite Rehain or Rehain picture. And some years later, the forger admitted to making a model out of styrofoam and adding lights. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because it kind of, you know, this sounds like a legitimate case. And one faked photo ruins it for everyone. To me, to be quite honest, that very situation that you just mentioned, it kind of, all right. So I think that this person is either somebody who had taken a legit picture and then was pressured to come out and say that it was fake or somebody who made the picture fake intentionally to create misinformation. Right. Or maybe just interest. Well, but misinformation is a, is, is a valuable thing too. You know what I mean? If you can keep people on their back foot wondering, you know what I mean? Then that's, that's a very malleable situation to have a public in or a society. You know what I mean? The skeptics take this one photo and they say, because this one photo is fake, then the whole event is fake. That's pretty much their argument in a nutshell, which is completely absurd. But a lot of the witnesses took films and photographs, some of which you can actually find online. Uh, You know, this being a, a podcast without having any visual media, I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking into the photos and videos, but you, you can find some, and there are some interesting ones out there, but that's a that's sort of a realm that's outside of my level of experience is being able to tell what's real and what's not for photographic evidence. But there was a physicist who took some of these photos. So one of the things about this case was that a lot of the witnesses, because it happened over such a long period of time, people started bringing their cameras with them, and a lot of people took pictures of these craft. But the the fil- or the craft or what once the film was developed the UFO almost never showed up. And if it did show up, it showed up to be like really blurry. Like you couldn't even really see what it was. And looking at the photos, this one dude figured out that this might be caused by like infrared light. So he took some pictures under normal conditions, but put some infrared light on the objects. And he created an effect similar to what these witnesses had photographed of the UFO. The idea being that some some sort of intense infrared light source was basically messing with the photographic evidence uh, that people were collecting. Other ideas are that maybe some sort of intense magnetic field was messing up with the film. And keep in mind, this is back in this day, this was all analog. There was no digital photography that the average person had back then. So everybody, you know, you get your roll of film, you got to take it down to the, you know, the, um, you know, back in a flash or whatever to have it developed and uh, get your roll of film back and your, you know, your paper film. Like we didn't have cell phones or anything back then. The photographic evidence in general, I think is sort of, it's interesting to look into, but it's not necessarily something that's going to make or break the case. And we're also lucky that we have any, 
Right. Know? Yeah. Well, again, because there's the radar evidence for me, that's. Well, it's better than photos. Better, better than photos. Yes, yeah, better than photos. And radar, like we were talking about earlier, radar uses part of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can't see with our eyes. It's so you're still collecting that data. You're just collecting it with an instrument that's operates differently than stuff we can see basically. Yeah. That's so, a good, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's a picture. It really is just like taking a picture of it. You know, number two on the skeptics list is agent Anderson mentioned that the witnesses were in fact interviewed by ufologists from what was it? Sobeps. Sobap. Sobap. Sep Pope. So, Sobeps. That inherently is bias because it was done by ufologists. So they're going to have their own internal bias that they're bringing to these interviews, maybe encouraging witnesses, that sort of thing. What do you guys think about that? I think that's definitely possible. It is a private entity that we're talking about. Uh, Sobeps. Do you guys do you guys know what that acronym stands for? By the way, I read it, but I don't remember. It's soda pop. Some, yeah. Something in Belgium. <laughs> it's long. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, I looked at the at the, the whole uh, name, like, it's spelled out, and I was like, oh, I don't think I could pronounce the majority of this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it probably, so I'm just not going to. I'm just not going to. Have you ever seen the Muppets? It probably sounds like the chef from the Muppets. <laughs> Rude. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, so, something like it, maybe. I don't yeah. know. You know, uh, <laughs> that's hilarious, though. But yeah, I, I could definitely understand that, like, you know, uh, from a truly like straight down the middle, you know, perspective, could they be biased? Yeah, of course they could be. Yeah, I mean that they're they are very interested in UFOs, and uh, you know, it's a private privately funded organization that, you know, is, you know, doing investigations and stuff on, on that very thing. That's the only thing that they do. So is it possible? Yeah, absolutely. It's possible. How much, how much can you possibly lead your witness? Like you're leading a witness to say, okay, so you saw a a big giant 300 foot on each side, triangle object hovering over this field for half an hour I mean, are you going to really get somebody to admit to that if they didn't really see it? I guess, maybe. But are you going to get thousands of people to admit to that? Uh, Credible witnesses? Uh, Not so much. Well, we have to turn, of course, to the age-old favorite, and that would be mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. I I thought you were going to say Venus. No, Venus (laughs) Venus is not on my list, but mass hysteria is. I thought it was Jupiter. It probably was. It probably was, though. Yeah. Yeah, if you dig if you dig hard enough, you probably find a skeptic saying it was Venus. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> I did not run across that, but I wouldn't be surprised. It was Venus a whole and planet. swamp gas. If there isn't, then I'd like to identify my, myself at this very moment as a skeptic, and I think it was Venus. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? Well, I think it was your anus, you know, Agent ETA. Sorry, I had to throw <laughs> oh, that in there. Yeah, it, it probably well, so, was. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, swamp gas, dude, the mud butt. <laughs> yeah. So by by mass hysteria, the explanation I read was that the initial sighting caused a lot of a lot of press reports and newspaper reports and whatever. So people saw this on the news, and then they thought to themselves, "Well, some of the news reports asked people to call in or to report their sightings if they had seen anything, because you know if if it had been seen hovering over a city." probably there were an awful lot of people who did not report their sightings. So they asked people to call in and report it. Right. So the idea, um, this is at least, this is the version of mass hysteria that I read. 
So the skeptics say that people saw that and then they remembered seeing like, I don't know, a twinkling star or a helicopter. And then they sort of retconned that in their whole mind, in their mind. And they thought to themselves, you know, that helicopter, that was actually a big giant triangle hovering over my house. And then they called and reported that. I mean, that is just, to me, it seems pretty absurd. <laughs> the, the idea of mass hysteria, you could have multiple witnesses who didn't corroborate beforehand reporting the exact same thing. I mean, that's why when I talk about cases, probably the number one most important thing is multiple independent witnesses because it doesn't, like mass hysteria, just, it doesn't, it's not possible, you know, when you have those people, but what yeah, did you have? Especially from very different perspectives, you right, know, so yeah. th- those people are under di- very different influences, you know, yeah. Wh- whatever, whatever, whatever they may be doing, whether it be driving on a freeway, a road, you know, whether they be hanging out in their backyard or some, or their front porch, you know, I, I, you know, those are very different states of mind, all of those, all of those, di- those different things, you know? So if, if somebody is going to report the very same thing from very different states of mind, then, uh, it's a, I, I think it's a pretty damn credible event, you know? Yeah. So did you have any other explanations? For I have us? two more possible explanations. What do you guys think? Reuters wrote that it was a Russian satellite breaking up. Hmm. For two years? For two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we heard that one already. In I think right? they specifically meant the March event where they scrambled the jet oh, fighters, okay. and that would explain why they got uh, a lock and then it broke up and then they got a different lock. Hmm. Allegedly. Well, the, the locks, I, I heard that locks that they were getting, uh, and, and I, I'm pretty, I thought that this was a release from, you know, their, uh, their government themselves uh, that was, the locks that they were getting were on themselves. Like they were locking on other, other, uh, F six sixteens. No, no, that, that I was a, actually a skeptical analysis that somebody did that. Oh, it, it was, really? it was an armchair analysis. It was not somebody who was from, I think it was like a physicist or something, but it was one of these university types that probably wasn't all that familiar with like radar and how it works and stuff. Uh, but the military, I was fooled. Yeah. The military said it was unexplained. The military did not say that. The military, as far as I was able to find, confirmed that they did get three different locks on the objects with their F-16s, and they had many corroborating radar hits from ground radar sources as well. Dude, dude, the misinformation, dude. Yeah, it's misinformation. It totally is. And they, like... For example, if you look on Wikipedia, it's almost always UFO stuff on Wikipedia is written by the skeptics, and they they promote the skeptical explanations as if it's, as if it's fact. But often, well, I didn't I didn't see this on Wikipedia, but yeah, I, I I I could definitely imagine it would be on there. Yeah, often they're like they're cherry picking just the data they want, and this person is not a military person. Just imagine like the the people who run the you are the um the radar in the military whether it's on the ground or in an F16 these people know intimately what their radar is. Do you think for a second that an F16 pilot is going to know whether or not he's got a lock on his his wingman? He's going to know. They're not Yeah. How often yeah. do they shoot each other out of the sky? But if I'm not mistaken, it's it's basically like a video game, though. It's like it, it tells you right away if that's a friendly, like on your HUD. Like you, we've gone to the technology now where it's you can ping out the bad guys and like tell everybody else, like, hey, all right, this guy up ahead, you know, this is unidentified target, and you can actually soft lock on them. It, it's yeah. pretty crazy what our HUD systems can do now. I find it completely completely ridiculous that two F-C- F-16s wear tear ass and all over Belgium chasing each other 
rather than some object, you know? It's just completely implausible to me. So that 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 explanation is just I never even really considered it on the show just because it's so damn silly. Maybe both those pilots, like the the well, I mean, all four of them, because it was a uh, a group of two in each uh, plane, from what I understand. You know, maybe like you know the the night before, or like you know two nights before. Who knows how hard they hit it? You know what I mean? Like a, uh, you know, they're they're in a bar competing for you know prowess and stuff, and hitting on women and, and drinking shots and shots and shot 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 shot. Right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like maybe maybe you know they were compromised. Yeah, <laughs> we caught them with their pants down. <laughs> That's one, you know, one theory. I don't know, but you never know, right? I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not them. It's more plausible than helicopters or mass hysteria. Oh, wait, was that your next one? We already did mass hysteria. Oh, and helicopters. Yeah, of course, that's on the list, okay. uh, which you mentioned earlier. <laughs> Even when you have those. Uh, you know, the, those stealth helicopters that you've heard about, you know what I mean? That have like the, uh, the, the, the rotor wash washed is like a, you know, way quieter than a regular helicopter. Oh, what they used in the Bin Laden raid type deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. but, but they're still very observable. If you're on the ground, like if you're right there, like, 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 uh, I don't know, like, you know, somewhere within like a hundred feet or so, you know, at, at the very least, <laughs> at the very least, you know, like, a you're going to notice that that craft, you know, like it's not going to be very, it's going to be pretty obvious. I, I would, you know, think. I am seeing a lot of coincidences and a lot of like the eyewitness. Re- I mean, not eyewitness reports per se, because the one that I am about to bring up is through an old friend of mine that I've known since, you know, elementary. And he has been, you know, convinced time after time that he has seen objects above his house that have been in the shape of a helicopter and that he he's I've seen the video that he's he's shown me on his phone back can in the I day. Ask you one, and, can I ask and, you one thing? Does he partake in methamphetamines? <laughs> no, he does not, unfortunately. Uh, okay. no, he, well, uh, I'm just saying this all like if he's looking through the blinds, you know, like and and just saying this helicopters, bro. But my house right now. I know, right? But I mean, it's not so crazy to think that they would, you know, show us something. I mean, if we would entertain the idea that they could shoot a frequency of light at us that we couldn't interpret, so that that's like we're seeing nothing there or just a blob, you know, I don't think it's too crazy to think that they can cloak themselves as one of our civilian helicopters or, you know. Yeah, but but for what? Stealth. I mean, I don't know. know. To prevent that mass hysteria or getting a rocket because we shoot people in our own schools. I don't know. We tend to shoot first, ask yeah, questions I mean, later. Like how, like, the Belgian UFOs, they didn't seem to care one way or another what people were doing. They seemed to pretty much just ignore us with the exception of an F-16 getting a radar lock, which is essentially, you know, that's that's like a hostile action. So outside of that, they didn't seem to do it's much. It's almost of, like they were putting yeah. on a show. Yeah. You know? Or maybe they were, whatever they're doing here, they just didn't care if we were watching them or not. They were busy. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, we, that, like we touched base on earlier, it's their way of like peeking in and being like, hey, where are you guys at now? You know, like, oh, they built the dam. Ah, they, oh, now they're flying. Ooh, we always cute. assume that we're the most interesting thing on the planet, but that right. may not be the case. So what about the dolphins? Yeah. What about the dolphins? Yeah. Or, you know? Yeah. Well, dolphins, I mean, what about jellyfish? All right. So, was was that your full list of skeptical explanations? No. 
Oh, you have more. <laughs> I have okay. more. Do oh. you want to hear them? Oh, yes, I do. All right. There's also a rare meteorological phenomena called angels. And basically, there's electromagnetic uh, interference effects where the ground acts as a mirror and projects electromagnetic waves back up into the atmosphere. And so some skeptical scientists claim that the aircraft were lo- actually locking on to that. That's hmm. very complicated. I didn't quite I wasn't quite able to follow all of it, mm-hmm. but that was the basic idea. I mean, I suppose anything's possible, but like I said earlier, we're talking about some, I mean, F-16 pilots, even in Belgium, they, they don't let just anybody go up on those planes. You're talking about like the best of the best of the best, you know, like some men in black type candidates, you know? So it's just, these people, they know what their radars look like. They know how to filter that stuff out and they know the difference between a fake return and a real one. So I, I suppose it's possible, but I, I find that hard to believe, to be honest. I also found it hard to believe. Yeah. And then finally, we did mention that perhaps it was some experimental aircraft, uh, maybe American testing. So we had a couple different kinds of airplanes that I looked at that could be possible candidates. And I didn't know these planes existed even conceptually. And so I was kind of blown away When I was reading the descriptions of them, we had, of course, the F-117, but we also had a stealth bomber that was allegedly never made, the A-12, called the Avenger. And there was also the TR-3B, the Black Mantra, but that was supposed to be a concept plane. So, but they had a similar uh, description when I was reading about them, the triangular shape, the light pattern, that sort of thing that made me think, well... The, The Delta Wing... Yeah, the Delta Wing. I remember, I'm not sure where the stage in the project it's been in, because it's been a couple of years since I've looked into it, but uh, Project Aurora um, Mm -hmm. was supposed to be like the high altitude um, plane that, you know, just floats above our atmosphere and our our stratosphere or whatnot, and it just, it hauls, you know, like no other. You can be from California or L.A. to New York and... uh, like a matter of minutes, like five minutes, I guess. It's just crazy. Yeah. That that's the one that supposedly had a three stage engine, right? Like a takeoff with um with like a uh, um like a jet engine, and then it would have like part of it would be a rocket, and then once it got to a high enough speed, it would have like a ramjet or something. I don't know, something yeah. like that. I be- I believe something like that, but it, it, it the shape of the plane was similar to, the nose was similar to like a F twenty two Raptor. Uh, I believe that's what I'm trying to. I might have to look that up. Anyway, so it's like the nose of that, and then in the back, it kind of like cones out into like a, you know, an arrow, and it's pretty, it's pretty badass. I'll look it up, actually. Yeah. The one thing, I think it's, that's one of the more plausible explanations is actually some sort of experimental craft, but the problem with that explanation is that it doesn't seem to make sense that the United States would be testing it over Belgium. Like, why? Like, it doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, Russia would, they wouldn't be testing it over. If it's secret, you wouldn't be testing it over, (laughs) right? No, yeah. Over populated areas where you know people are going to see it. It's just completely nonsensical. And even beyond that, it doesn't make sense that uh, these things moved in ways that are beyond our ability to do. Right. We still don't have, uh, to my knowledge, we have no way of moving. Uh, We don't have anything that can overcome inertia that can go from, you know, zero to one and a half times the speed of sound in the blink of an eye. We just don't have that kind of technology. 
And we certainly, I would be very, very, very surprised if we had it in 1989, let alone right now. So it's, it's a possibility, but it's just hard for me to believe that that was some sort of top secret aircraft. What's interesting to see as of late where I'm pretty sure it's just people trying to rationalize a lot of thing or it's what the military keeps kind of preaching uh, or not preaching, but getting at is that, you know, China has technologies that, you know, we don't even, you know, like possess or that like the pill shaped objects that the pilots, our pilots have been seeing are some sort of top secret drone like project that you know china's had underway for years and we're just catching wind of it now and they're kind of rubbing it in our faces or the enemies of our state basically are just trying to ridicule us and show us that we're outdated and i i don't believe that i i mean i i definitely don't believe that but it's just you know i don't like the majority, I'm not the majority, you know what I mean? So if everybody just starts wrapping their head around like, oh yeah, it's enemies and we start bulking up our defenses for something like that, like, I don't know where I'm going with it, but it's just, it's crazy. I, I don't think we even, our drones can do what they have done, like what we've catch, caught and recorded so far. I mean, dipping in and out of oceans, like it's nothing. I mean, with rough seas, like actual chop and it's just, Like butter. That that would scare me more than anything. More than real aliens is that that we are so behind in our war tech that like we're now seeing the change of like the turning of a page where we are the dominant ones and now it's somebody else and we just didn't buy it. I think it's more likely that that the stuff that we're seeing is our our own tech being advertised, basically. You know what I mean? Right. It's either ours, China's, maybe Russia's. I don't know. Um, there's maybe only a couple other nations in the country in the, in the world that uh, may be able to be that on that level of sophistication. Yeah, I mean that's entirely possible. We with this case, we just don't know. We have to, we can only speculate. That's all we have, really. Yeah, we yeah. have we have a whole bunch of opinions and a whole lot of speculation and not a whole lot of uh, actual proof as to what these things actually were. But yeah, so I think that's pretty much all that I had. You guys have anything else for the Belgian UFOs? No, I don't Not at the moment. Belgian chocolate is delicious. I actually, oh, uh, I grew damn. up in Germany, yes. so I've been to Belgium. Oh, did you have a quote you were going to read agent ether? No, you basically covered everything in the quote. So it oh, would I be see. redundant at was this it, point. Was it the same guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Whoops. <laughs> Stealing my thunder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know you had the same one. Okay. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group, AlienConPod. And if you enjoy the show, you can really help us out by leaving a good review wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your friends.